You are listening to the You Got Jobbed podcast. This is episode seven. Hello and welcome to You Got Job Podcast. This is Suzanne Yegley and I'm here with Gabriel. And Hello. Hi. Do you want to introduce yourself? I all of a sudden I forgot your last name. It's Harley. Harley? Harley, like the motorcycle. Oh, okay, okay. Good. And you can hear me okay? Um, for the moment, yes. Oh God. All right. So yeah, I wanted to start the podcast by saying um that I've had you know, it's. I, it took me. <laughs> there were days when I would spend like five or six hours just all day in my pajamas, sweating and trying to make this work, and not having any success, and then just <laughs> crying and telling my husband I wasn't oh. going to do this. And <laughs> so, and people are always like, "You want to use Skype?" I'm like, "I don't know." You. It took me weeks and weeks just to get this to work. So I'm afraid of trying anything else. Um, but you are a record producer, and so I want to tell the listener that this is no reflection on you. Anything that happens with the audio is purely <laughs> my fault and my ineptitude. Which So that's my first question for you is, so you're a record producer, or I don't know, is that what you call yourself, a record producer? I, I, yeah, I call myself a producer or producer slash engineer because I, I do both producing uh, and engineering at the same time. Sometimes I just do producing and sometimes I'm just the engineer pushing buttons. And how in God's name did you learn how to do this? <laughs> well, uh, out of necessity, I guess, is the, the best answer to that. Uh, I started out as a uh, – I got – you know at about 18 years old, I got seduced by rock and roll thought I would become a you know songwriter, have a band, all that kind of stuff, and it worked out pretty well. But at the same time, um, I got really tired really fast of paying like $3,000 for a weekend in somebody else's studio. Uh, and I'd always had little recording things that I messed around with. You know, I had a little four-track cassette recorder when I was in high school, and I had uh, – I went – uh, to IU, uh, Indiana University, and kind of played around in their studio a little bit for a semester or so. Uh, so I had some introduction to it. My dad, when I was growing up, was always into, you know, he, he and my mom were singer-songwriters, so they had microphones and guitars and sitting around a lot of the time. So basically, I just uh, decided to start learning as much as I could about it so I could not be paying out the nose every time I wanted to demo a song or try to make a record or whatever. So how did you first, like, how did you go from, did you just sort of start uh, buying equipment in your home and building or, you know, recording there? Or how did you get started? Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. Um, I, I used some of the great Uncle Sam's student loan money when I was in college and uh, went out and bought, uh, back in that day, it was an ADAT recorder, which recorded audio, eight tracks of audio on a super VHS tape. And I uh, bought that and a pretty decent uh, microphone. I had one microphone. Um, and then uh, I, I had some sort of little mixing board that I also got along the way. And from there, it just kind of grew and expanded. And um, now it's a you know full-blown recording studio with a, and it's a full-time job. So I wish I had <laughs> – darn it. I had this whole manual that I got with the mixer when I ordered it, and um, I, I spent days trying to just read the words off of the – like, I, I was like, these aren't real words. Like, the, the words that they use, like compressor, <laughs> I guess even uh – -huh. I could just – looking at this mixer, hold on. Yeah, like – gain and compressor I just don't understand how you would know like when you get your first mixer how did you know what any of the words even meant dictionary um, <laughs> dictionary part of it too I was lucky in that at the time I started kind of really getting into this I got a job working at a guitar store and so the guys there, they, they also sold like PA equipment and things like that. So I learned a lot kind of from just my coworkers who'd been doing this, you know, slightly longer than I had. 
Um, and so they taught me a lot about how to do that sort of thing. And, and I'm, I'm a nerd. I mean, I'm the kind of guy who gets excited reading microphone manuals and things like that. Um, so I'll go look some of that stuff up and, and, uh, you know, kind of just educate myself on it a little bit too. So when you were doing this thing with the VHS tape, uh, did you have a mullet? Um, you know, I never did have a mullet. I had long hair. You would never know that by looking at me now. Uh, I had hair down to my waist and uh, sort of had this, you know, thin, pencil-thin beard. And, and uh, uh, we call it my uh, I can't believe it's not butter phase. Um, but, uh, <laughs> did you have a perm? Would that, was that uh, No, I had... I have I have pretty straight hair and and uh, unfortunately the the straight luxurious beautiful hair lasted till I was about twenty three and then it started going away so oh did uh was there a specific like heavy metal type guy that you look that you feel like you looked like or did anybody ever say you look geez you look like oh wow that's a good question um hmm like if I had to picture I, you because I still don't know what you look like so. Uh, well, I, I look nothing now like I did then, but um, <laughs> if I had to guess, I, I guess the, a couple uh, comparisons, I, you know, I sort of got compared to maybe like uh, late 80s Bon Jovi, oh. like that kind of thing, with slightly <laughs> less curly hair. That's amazing. I have, when I was in high school, I went to see Bon Jovi in concert like three or four times. I was super fan, and I had on my bedroom door... Uh, a life-size poster of John Bon Jovi. And about eight months ago, I got it on eBay, the exact one. And it's nice. on, I know it's on my closet door and I talk to it. And it just makes <laughs> me so happy. If, if you ever saw the cover of the cassette single, or the single, as the we called it that, totally. of, um, of A Blaze of Glory. Oh. <laughs> on that, and that's, that's the kind of the look I was going for anyway. So... <laughs> It's whether or not it was successful is another uh, another debate entirely. But. Actually, I something interesting about Bon Jovi. Like I heard an interview with him. Like Howard Stern interviewed him a while ago uh, in October. Actually, I was just looking. Anyway, he because I'm kind of I'm I from the top, from age 18 till maybe a year or two ago. I really he was not in my purview at all. But anyway, I listened to this interview with him. And uh, he said, well, you know, he used to work at a recording studio, right? Like, that's how he got Mm -hmm. to start. He so he was there when um, Freddie Mercury and is it David Bowie sang Under Pressure? Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? You're like, what the hell? John Bon Jovi was there for that? That's just crazy. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyway, so we should talk about. Um, okay, so your <laughs> your parents were musicians. You said what did what kind of songs did they sing? Uh, they were they were sort of late era hippies. So, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of uh, Peter, Paul and Mary, John Denver, Jim Croce, James Taylor, that kind of stuff. Um, and they wrote some songs that were sort of in the, along that vein as well. And uh, my mom was a huge Beatles fan, so I was I was probably ten years old before I realized the Beatles were no longer together. Oh, um, <laughs> were you? That's kind of like learning that Santa Claus isn't real, like, right? You know, oh. although you know, I, I probably exaggerate slightly because I do remember one of my early childhood memories is actually that watching John or not watching, but the day that John Lennon was shot. And uh, watching my mom sort of, you know, collapse in tears over this guy who I only had a vague idea who that actually was. But, uh, wow. but yeah, I was very much steeped in the Beatles. <laughs> so, um, so now, well, you've been doing this for, okay, so our interview was in 2012, which is only mm-hmm. about four years ago. Um, I could do math. That's pretty impressive. I know. Uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, but since then, so have you, I know at the time you were kind of doing this part time. Are you still sort of doing it part time, or? I'm full time now. Actually, um, I went through a a brief experimentation where I was going to not do music full time, and I was going to. I went to grad school and was going to be uh, an English professor, and I did that for about two and a half, three years, and couldn't take it any longer. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually quit being a professor and started making music and, and increased my pay. So that tells you a little bit so, something about being a professor as well. So. Wow. 
So what kind of people come into this? Or Well, so let's see. So how did you go from then recording your own stuff to recording other people's stuff? You know, it was just a matter of, um, you know, I'd play something for somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I've got a song, an idea for a song. You know, would you help me record that? So I'd say, sure, you know, and went to from doing it for free for, you know, friends and friends of friends to I'll do it for, you know, a case of beer to, you know, oh, I'll do it for 10 bucks an hour or something like that to to, you know, being basically full time uh, working, you know, in Indianapolis, working in Nashville, working in San Francisco. Um, you know, traveling all over doing it. So, so when you like tra- you traveled all over, what for what purpose? Like, are there different bands that were like, "Hey, we need you to run the mixer"? I don't even know what bands do. I'm clueless. Anyway, is that what you're saying? So yeah, I, basically working with different artists as a mostly as a producer is what, where a lot of my traveling go, comes from. So you know, I'd get together with an artist, a, a songwriter, singer songwriter, in say Nashville, um, and you know, they'd heard some work I did with somebody else and we would you know, say, OK, well, let's book a couple of days in the studio and, you know, I'll kind of help you craft your sound a little bit because really as a producer, that's that's kind of what I do. It's it's, you know, helping the artist to sort of square up the corners of the song and, um, you know, cut the cut the excess fat and sort of get the exact right kind of instrument sounds and vocal sounds and things like that that we that we want to get. Um, and so. You know, I'll do that. And I, I've worked with different genres, like down in Nashville, of course, it's largely country music. Um, you know, out on the West Coast, I've worked with a, a fair number of jazz musicians and some singer-songwriters and people like that, too. But it's it's basically just a, a matter of, yeah, you know, I, I find somebody that uh, that seems to, that we seem to click and uh, go from there with sort of me in the the producer driver's seat and they're them in the, the artist's seat and uh, collaborate. Uh, like that. You make it sound like it's so easy. And <laughs> I probably have six knobs. Well, there's rows and rows of crap on this stupid mixer, but I probably only have to touch like three or four of them. I can't imagine. Okay, so can you tell me um, how, just for someone who knows nothing about what goes on in a recording studio, specifically mm-hmm. for like a band, a full on band, sure. how, what's the process like of recording, I don't know, a song? It depends a lot on the engineer, the band, and how they want to work these days. Um, my preference, because I kind of came up, you know, still a little bit old school when it comes to recording. Uh, my first serious recordings we made on analog tape, and if you wanted to edit it, you took a razor blade to the analog tape and sliced and diced. Um, so I came, I came up kind of doing a live recording kind of thing, where we put, you know, set up all the instruments in the same room. Uh, you know, maybe stick the amplifiers in a side room or something so that the sound from that didn't bleed over into the drum mics or whatever. And uh, we'd mic up the drums and, you know, plug everything in and the band would just kind of do their thing and you, you'd capture it to capture it to tape or these days to capture it to the computer. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of the, the way I prefer to work when I can, because I think you get a better vibe, you know, if you've got the whole band playing. But a lot of times, especially in smaller studios um, or, you know, especially people's home studios, things like that, uh, these days, a lot of it's sort of piecemeal. So you might start with, you know, a click track that just ticks along like a metrodome giving you the tempo and the drummer and the bassist might lay down their thing together or maybe just the drummer. You know, and then the we'll add a guitar, and then we'll add another guitar, and then you know we'll do the main vocal in another pass, and then the backing vocals, and and often do two or three takes of, of each thing too, so you can kind of pick and choose from the best bits. Um, so it's it can either be both. I mean, you know, if you have the capability, I still love to work live, but um, but sometimes that's not appropriate or it's just not possible because you know your bass player is in Cleveland and your drummer's coming in from Louisville or whatever. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I can kind of take that approach as well. So if like, say you just, when you're just recording the drums, is the drummer listening to the song in his headphones and then just playing the drums along with what he hears? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, I'm just, it's just occurring no, to it's... me, like, as I do the stupid podcast thing, like why am I wearing headphones right now? And that's so I can hear you talk because you're not playing out of the speakers of my computer. 
I don't know. Right. It's all very confusing to me. And I can't imagine. So when you had these VHS tapes, you had and you cut them with a razor blade. And then what do you, you use scotch tape? Or is there uh, well, the the VHS tapes I would never cut with a razor blade because you'd never get them put back together again. <laughs> um, what the stuff I cut with uh, razor blades was on two inch analog tape, which are it's it's a two inch wide reel of tape, like a reel to reel. Um, and so, and those hold, yeah, like 24 tracks usually or 16, depending on the machine. It, uh, so those are, yeah, ones where you, you know, if you hit a spot where you need to cut, you know, okay, well, this first chorus didn't work, but the third one does, and we're going to put it in place. Yeah. You would slice it and, you know, line it up on the, on the cutting, uh, surface of the, the machine and slice it with the razor blade. And then, yeah, there's, um, splicing tape, which is essentially a, a different formula of scotch tape. Hmm. That you use to put it put it all back together again. You know, and if voice... you're lucky, you don't oh, get any pops or cracks when you do that. But if you're unlucky or just bad at it, then you you know you're going along, and all of a sudden there's a in the middle of your uh, middle of your song. Oh, so that's what introduces that sort of noise is the tape or something. That can be one of the things. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say your voice sounds a lot like Weird Al. I don't have you. Has anybody ever told you that before? <laughs> No, I've never heard that before. <laughs> you sound a lot like him, yeah. Anyway. Um, Have you interviewed Weird Al before? Oh, no, but uh, uh, it's another one of my private uh, embarrassing things is just that I've seen him in concert a couple times in the last few years. Nice. And it's, uh, I love it. And it's embarrassing, but it's, he's, he, no, no. yeah, he's got a good sense of humor about himself. Like he kind of knows that he's a dork and he owns right. it. So. I mean, you know, Dare to be Stupid was one of the first vinyl records that I got. So there you go. <laughs> okay. So how big is your studio? Uh, let's see. I would say it's, uh, I haven't done the math on it, actually, but it's about 1,300 square feet. Oh, wow. Um, right now I'm, I'm sitting in, and it, it, it basically encompasses the whole first floor of my house. So I, I'm lucky in that I get to work from home. And the commute is awesome because all I have to do is go downstairs. Um, but, uh, so I'm sitting in the control room now. We have a few different rooms. I'm sitting in the main control room, which has the mixing board and all of our different preamps and things like that, that we use, uh, and the computers, of course. And it's a, you know, it's about 10, well, I think about 12 by 12. And then there's the tracking or the main tracking room, which was where the musicians go. There's a window between the, the control room and that, and it's a bigger room. It's probably 20 by 12, something like that. And then we have a vocal booth on the other side of the studio or an isolation booth where you can kind of isolate something or, you know, when we're tracking a voiceover or something like that, that's where the the speaker or the singer goes. And we have a little kitchen and, of course, the restroom, little storage area with full of guitars, things like that. And then we also have a, what we call Studio B, uh, which is uh, another room with a mixing console and computer and speakers and mostly uh, we use that for just mixing and editing. So we don't really do much recording in there, but it gets used on the, the backside of, of making records. Wow. So I, without, I know I don't want to like expose any of your clients, but have you had like top 40 type recording artists at your house? Um, not top 40 per se. I have had some like iTunes number one sellers, uh, who've recorded here and done projects here. Neat. Uh, the, probably one of the more noticeable group. We did a live recording with a group called the Weepies. Oh, I've heard uh, of them. Yeah, a little folk duo. Uh, really, really nice people. Really cool songwriters. And they had, for a while they were on a lot of. They've been on a lot of soundtracks, TV shows, things like that. Totally. I'm trying to think of that song. I feel like their album cover has like a green with a white sort of animal or something on it. Uh... Oh, that's so, very possible. Deb. Uh, oh, sunny she's, uh, days. She's, uh, I, something about sunny days. days. Yeah, that was uh, this was some, some movie with Harrison Ford, right? I can't remember oh, it. I don't know. I, I only know because I have a single of it, and the Harrison Ford is on the cover, and I, I'm pretty sure he didn't sing with the. So. <laughs> and when's the last time you went into the um, the sort of singer's booth yourself and just belted out a song? Um, you know, I'm, it, it's been a while. I, like I said, I did start as an artist, a singer songwriter. And so my last record came out in 2012. 
Um, and then I had to take some, some time off for some health reasons. And so actually this month, um, my band and I are finally getting together after some time apart, and we're going to start working on a new record. So Wow. So when you said your album came out in 2012, you mean you personally or your band or what? Yeah, uh, my my band, me, it's, uh, it's under my name, Gabriel Harley. Uh-huh. And uh, we just go by the Gabriel Harley Band. Which is, I always tell people, an incredible coincidence that I ended up in that band. Right. Uh, and so, and how, what kind of music is it? Uh, it's sort of pop rock with, uh, usually with some jazz or and or blues influences to it. Um, but also, the last record I did had a little bit, I, I co-wrote it with a couple of guys in Nashville. So it definitely had a little more country flavor, although it's it's hard country music at all. But um, I think somebody recently compared it to like the Eagles, something along those lines. Uh-huh. Well, it sounds like with your parents, kind of, the, they listen to sort of folkish type music. So it had a little, maybe, I don't know. But I, so you can get this on iTunes, this album? Or yeah, songs. it's on iTunes and Amazon and all the all the usual suspects. Cool. All right, go check this out. It's, uh, it's called uh, "Ghost of Better Days." Is the the album? All right, I'm writing it down. Um, cool. That's cool. I didn't realize you were like actively making albums, and you did that in your own studio then. For the most part, yes. Yeah, my uh, my guitarist also has a sort of pared down version of my recording setup. So sometimes we'll record over at his place, and or just you know I'll record something and basically put it in Dropbox and send it to him, and he'll add his part, and then we'll go back and forth, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's mostly mostly my studio, and I mostly pull double duty as engineer and artist. And well, that's well, what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. how do you? Same time. Yeah. Yeah, how do you do that? You ha- how do you do you have some? Ha- I mean, yeah, how do you do that? <laughs> uh, if I'm lucky, I have some help. Um, sometimes I'll get my guitarist, or you know, I'll draft one of my interns for the studio or something to to help me out. Um, but then sometimes, you know, especially if I feel like recording at two o'clock in the morning or whatever, I'll just do everything in the control room. I'll pull in some microphones and pull in a guitar and have one hand on the mixing board to start everything rolling and then start playing and then, you know, reach back over and hit stop. So how did you get interns? I advertised for them. Um, just putting out notices. Uh, there's a couple of Facebook groups, for instance, that uh, you know local musicians use, and uh, also there's a, a couple of different audio programs at uh, a couple of universities in Indianapolis, uh, University of Indianapolis and IUPUI. Uh, and so I've I've had students from there join me before to get either just get credit or just to get experience. That's awesome. I yeah, I'm gonna I need an intern who wants podcasting experience. So if anyone hears this and they want to contact me, please do, please. Anyway, okay. And uh, what's the longest you've ever worked on editing a song? On editing a song, um, or mix, probably or mixing, mixing I takes. Guess I should say. Yeah. So in mixing, I would say on average, it takes me about two and a half to three hours per song to feel like I've really sort of started to get a, a handle on it, you know, and, and get it close to where it needs to be. That said, there have been some tricky ones. You know, I've done projects where somehow there ended up being, you know, like a hundred and some tracks on this song, you know, a hundred and some different parts going on between strings and drums and, and everything. And, and those, those can easily stretch to six, eight, ten hours if, if, you, uh, if you let them. <laughs> that just sounds like my worst nightmare. I just, the idea of, I can barely make the song at the beginning of the podcast, like, be at the same volume as my voice. And even I'm watching the stupid thing while we're talking. It's like, your voice has big bouncy waves that look great. And then mine has these teeny tiny waves, even though I'm shouting into the microphone. So I, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm hoping <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can fix that. I can make you some recommendations for microphones and things like that if you need them. <laughs> yes. I, well, I have the microphone and I have this mixer. So I've invested in that. It's mostly... Oh, anyway, don't worry about me. I'll, I'll be fine. I, but I'm going to get an intern. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, let's see. So um, other things in the interview were, um, I said, did you ever get nervous with when working with a recording artist? And, uh, and it sounds like you kind of have to, like, how, how are you at delivering feedback to people? 
that's I mean that is mainly my job as a producer. So I like to think I'm I'm fairly good at it. Um, I, I've been told I'm very diplomatic about how I do it, which is I guess good. You know, I, I like to joke that it's not a recording session until somebody cries, but that <laughs> really isn't true. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean you have to be tactful because obviously telling someone their performance was bad or their song needs some work is kind of like telling them their baby's ugly. But, uh, but you know, there, there are ways to do it and where you, you know, give them the criticism sandwich with positive things on either end of it. Or, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, uh, do something to make the artist go to the place you need them to go. Uh, you know, for instance, I, w- I was working with a singer not too long ago, and she's a great singer, uh, really good songwriter. And but she grew up more as a classically trained and choir trained singer, as opposed to we were making a pop album. And uh, so she had written this song basically about um, and I I don't know whether it actually happened or not, but uh, basically a song about having an affair. And she was singing this song, you know, we'd recorded all the parts she was doing her final vocal and the notes were all right. The sound of her voice was fine. But emotionally, I just wasn't buying it. You know, you can you can tell when somebody means what they're saying or singing, and and when they're just sort of going through the motions. Uh-oh. And you know, my job is to get that that thing to happen, and and hopefully capture it. And so, you know, what we ended up doing is, you know, I went in, I, I told the engineer to stop, turn off the mics. I went into the control room or the uh, vocal room where she was singing, and I said, um, but basically, I said that was a really pretty performance. But I don't want just pretty. I want to feel, you know, I, I don't believe you. I need to feel what this song is about as a, as a listener. And we ended up, you know, just sort of talking through that. And I said, I gave her five minutes. We turned out the lights. I said, I want you to sit here and just for the next five minutes, just recall everything about this person and this situation you were writing about, whether it's real or imagined. I didn't, I don't need to know whether it actually happened or not, but you kind of recall that to life. And then, uh, so she did that. While she was doing that, I ran out and I got some candles. And we were lighting candles and things like that to kind of set a mood. And, and the next time she sang through it, you know, it was, it was gut-wrenching. And it was, it was great. You know, that's the, that's the dick that made the record. Wow. Uh, so if I came in your recording studio and I was just like, yeah, and I was like, I'm going to be a star, what would you tell me? <laughs> Um, I would say you need a better lyric than yeah. First of all. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I can tell you, I, I cannot help you be, be a star. What I can do is I can put you through the same process that I would put a star through. And I can try and get you the quality of recording and the quality of performance that a star would go through. And, you know, whether you're, you know, Jane Smith from Newcastle, Indiana, or you are, you know, Mariah Carey, you know, as a producer, I'm going to give you the same sort of treatment. Not exactly the same because every artist is different, but, uh, you know, you're going to get this, the same microphones that she would get. You're going to get, you know, I'm going to hire the same kind of musicians if they're in your budget that, that she would hire. Probably not in your budget, but that's another story, you know. Um, so you, every, every project, you have to take it seriously. And, you know, if the client's paying you to be there and to give you give the advice and to walk them through it, then by God, that's what you're going to do. So that's at least what I'm going to do. Is it um, is it people like you who do the auto tune thing? <laughs> um, I try not to do a lot of auto tune, but I've done it before. Yeah. Um, and only and I try to do it. You know, I, the first choice is always get the get the performance you know get the get the real performance the way it should be and if that takes 10 takes that takes 10 takes but uh you know i've i've used autotune for what i think the purpose of autotune is and that is to save an otherwise awesome vocal that maybe has the little bit of pitchiness to it or you know something like that where the singer has obviously done their best job but there's just something that's going to bother a listener when they hear it back unless it's taken care of so i i when i do use autotune which is not all that frequently that's what i'll use it for but i i don't usually make the kind of records that have you know the t-pain everything slotted into a, a 
you know, slotted into a particular pitch and and sounding like a robot kind of kind of stuff. It's just not that I wouldn't do it if that's what the the music called for. But I'm it's not the kind of music you want to hire me for if I'm your producer, because I won't I'm not the best guy for the job. Yeah. Um, All right. So how about the variety of artists? So you've had have you've had you've done children. Have you had children sing? Only a little bit. Only a little bit. Um, I've I've definitely worked with teenagers. Uh, there's really uh, the only children I've ever done anything with were you know demos for say uh, an orchestra audition or something like that, like a school audition. You know, and that's just basically just getting them in the room, recording them, and sending them on their way. Yeah. Um, but I, I've tried to you know mentor and record you know young singer songwriters, people like that, um, and then also young classical musicians. I had a uh, an early music ensemble that came in that were all high school students and they they were doing this on their own. They weren't a, you know, part of the school program or anything. And they came in and played these 16th and 17th century songs on more or less period accurate instruments. And we made a record for them at one point. Wow. So, uh, to do some of that stuff. And you get people, you get, there are times, like you said, when you, when people have, when they have something so special and you know that you're in the room when something great is happening versus when it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. You are so diplomatic. It's hard to get some dish out of you. You're just like, you're being so, so kind. Uh, what, 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 what's the question, I guess? is, is uh, that, that... I don't know. What's the question? I guess... I don't know. I like the idea. I mean, okay, if you, so how many years have you been doing this, would you say, sort of helping other people uh, produce? As a producer, I probably would be comfortable saying it's been about 10 years. And then as an engineer, probably about 20. Okay, so let's say, well, and in the whole 20 years, you've been listening to people sing and record uh, their output, right? Right, right. All right. So, in the in twenty years, how many times have you been in the studio where you were like you got chills? Got chills? Oh, it happens like almost on a weekly basis at some point. Oh, really? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, they're not ever probably records. Most of them aren't records you're ever going to really hear outside of the few people that know about this artist or this band. But there are some incredible musicians that. You know, I mean, if a talent was what it took to make it as a famous musician, then there'd be a lot more famous musicians. Um, you know, but there are, and then there are times. You know, sometimes it chills because it's just so good. It's you know, a, a super professional level performance. Or sometimes it's it's chills because even though this artist may not be the greatest at what they do, they've reached a new level in what they do, and they've recognized that. You know, in the middle of their performance or or after the performance, and and they've just totally blown away your expectation for what you thought you could get out of them. That's very few people have a job that gives them chills on a weekly basis. It's, it's an incredible job. I, I won't be, I, I can't mince words. I mean, it is probably, I think it's the best job in the world. I really do. <laughs> I think so. I think I would kill myself if I did it, but it sounds like it's the perfect job for you. I just, I yes. couldn't, I mean, I, I actually have my day job as a technology job and I'm dealing with technology all the time and I, I'm okay with learning new stuff all the time, but Something about this audio stuff is is really pushes my buttons, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's a completely different language, I think, to you, and that's that's the thing. I mean, if, for instance, you know, what your mixer or even if it's all in a computer or whatever, it's, for me, it still bears a striking resemblance to the same technology I've been using for 20, 25 years. You know, things are in a slightly different place. Um, you know, maybe I click on a mouse instead of turn a knob, but it's essentially the same stuff, right? It works the same way. Um, yeah. but you know, I, I also started out, you know, when, when web pages first became a thing, I was, I was playing around with web design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I know some basic HTML and, you know, could use like front page and stuff like that. But now there's no way I could call myself a web designer. Right. You know, there's right. just so much more that goes into it. And it's because, you know, I've, I didn't really come up with more than a basic introduction to that and you know i haven't followed along with it so yeah it's just a matter of what you're what you're used to working with i think 
All right. Uh, oh, and so actually, that was interesting. My So my friend who made the, um, there's a little intro song at the beginning of the podcast that's like just guitars and drums and everything. And he has a small studio maybe in his house, or at least he has some equipment. And he made the song for me. And then I was like, how did you... Because I didn't think he played the uh, the drums. I knew he played guitar. I was like, how did you? He's like, well, they have libraries of like hundreds of drums or you know what I mean? Like they, they, mm-hmm. yeah, he, I think he made the whole thing. I'm like, you made the whole thing with your finger? And he's like, yeah, I basically made the whole thing with my finger. And I'm like, how is that possible? But apparently, like, is that something that you basically, is that how it's happened? Everything's transitioned to computerized and you could... Maybe. A lot of times, yeah. Um, you know, I the recording medium. I'm definitely we're recording to computer most of the time. Uh, there's a chance that I'm going to actually get to work with a, uh, a local uh, or regional, really. Um, uh, I wouldn't call them a f- bluegrass group exactly, but sort of folky bluegrassy kind of music. And they want to do a, an album all on analog tape, which I think would be uh, awesome to be able to do that again. But yeah, 99% of what, what, what we do is all in the digital domain now. And uh, yeah, we have you know libraries of loops and samples and stuff like that. And uh, one of the pro- programs I use, I, I mainly use Apple's uh, Logic recording program and it has something that's just kind of recently blown my mind in the last couple of years they've come out with a version of logic that has an artificially intelligent drummer and you record your song you mark the sections that are like verse chorus bridge chorus then you turn on this this drum uh, track drum program and it automatically and usually fairly accurately adjusts to the different sections of your song and there's even different drummer profiles with like little mini bios and things so oh i want i want Susie, who is trained as a you know who plays on backbeats in in you know slow pop songs or i want gavin who went to art school and decided you know he got into indie music it's just wild um and of course they they all have these sort of silhouettes that look like famous drummers right so you know, um, Logan is probably not really named Logan, but you can tell from the mustache who's he's, who he's supposed to be, you know. Um, and they have different drum kits that they all play. It's just incredible. Um, and like I said, pretty convincing. I mean, if you didn't know that it wasn't a real drummer, unless you're a drummer yourself, and even then, you you may have no clue. I feel terrible because the Skype keeps making um, your words kludgy a little bit and... It's, I'm just going to blame the internet and not us. So, but I just want to really apologize because, like, this is probably the worst Skype has behaved so far. Oh, and no. You're the audio guy. And I feel I couldn't. It's karma. I think it's just karma. Um, yeah, the irony is me sitting among all this, you know, untold thousands of dollars of recording equipment that is this turned off right at the moment. <laughs> I'm talking to you through a $12. Uh, yes. Yes. $12 Logitech headset. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Um, anyway, back to the interview I did. Uh, in the interview, I said, uh, uh, oh, we were, for some reason, we were talking about groupies. Oh, I said, uh, have you ever, uh, oh, do the bands that you work with ever have groupies? And mm-hmm. you, you said, these days, the bands I work with tend to have children more than groupies. Is that still accurate? That's very true. Yeah. Still accurate, yes. I um, was recording a project with uh, a trio not too long ago. All three were uh, moms in their 30s and 40s. And uh, more than once, you know, somebody turned up to a session with a two-year-old or a three-year-old. Um, so, yeah, that happens from time to time. And uh, the sessions where the children children didn't turn up, you know, the moms were into the bourbon by 11 a.m. So. <laughs> It totally kind of cut out. You said the moms were into the bourbon, right? Is that what you said? Yes, yes. Yeah. Into the bourbon by about 11 a.m. I love these moms. These are my kind of moms. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, and then actually, then the next sentence was, uh, I said, I've seen Almost Famous, and this is Spinal Tap, because we were talking about groupies. And you said, you just named two of my favorite movies. And... I just have to tell you a very short story. I was on vacation with my husband over Thanksgiving, and we were, um, oh, it's a long story, but I was, like, that morning I was, like, 
singing. Somebody told me I might see a monkey if I was lucky. And so I was singing like that George Michael song about monkey on your back. Anyway, I I was singing it as I was walking down this path. And then this monkey jumped out and I was like, yay, a monkey. And then um, I was swimming at lunchtime, just swimming right near the beach. And I saw like a giant sea turtle feeding. And I was like, this is incredible. And then we went out to dinner that night. And right across from us was this guy from Spinal Tap. And I was like, like, this is one of the best days of my life. <laughs> it was, uh, that's the, awesome. It was the guy who's like their manager, you know? The, uh, oh yeah. Um, I, it's I, been I've, so long since I've, yeah, no, yes, I, don't I know, know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the guy, I, I just saw a picture of him online the other day where he like with his tiny little Stonehenge statue. <laughs> right. Anyway. That should be 18 feet. That's 18 <laughs> inches. <laughs> Maybe if we get some dwarves to dance around it. Oh, God. I know. And then those, like, cocoons that they came out of. Ugh. <laughs> do you guys, do you ever video, like, the sessions, or is it always just audio? Well, um, no, we actually do some video. And um, I, my, I recently took on a business partner, well, about six or eight months ago. And uh, part, of, part of why he and I teamed up is in addition to having a studio of his own, which we combined with mine, he also had a video production company. And so now we've sort of branched into doing either in-studio video. We've shot a few different sort of music videos in the studios or little promo videos for, for the bands that are working on projects. And then doing, you know, outside of the studio kinds of shots, you know, concert shots and, and on-location music videos, stuff like that, too. Cool. Do you remember the Billy Squire video for um, Rock Me Tonight? I can't say that I do. <laughs> it's okay. I, we were just talking about at work because he ruined his career kind of like he he was a heavy metal kind of recording artist and then he recorded this video where he sort of prances around and like rolls around on a bed <laughs> you have to watch it uh-huh. it's so good <laughs> and uh basically after that he wasn't playing arenas anymore because people were just uh, like, yeah it's very 80s like he's a sissy kind of thing and it was pretty amazing i mean he pranced around in that video like i couldn't prance mate well maybe i could it was really great <laughs> Anyway, and then today at work, somebody else was talking about Dokken, so I got into this. I was watching, like, Dokken on autoplay on YouTube, so I watched Dokken. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. Who's your favorite 80s band? Oh, definitely The Police, hands down. Oh, see, that's a sophisticated choice. That's better than Dokken. I am I am a an aficionado of all things police and sting. So oh, cool. Um, all right. So anything else about this job? What's some of the, what's one of the most memorable um, just things you've ever recorded, or the most memorable sessions you've ever been a part of? If you can talk about that. Well, probably one of which was the the vocal session I was mentioning earlier, where you know I got the the artist I was working with to uh, to sort of go to a new emotional place. Um, and and to get the the performance that the song really needed out of her. And you do you ever, you never get starstruck? Not really. No. I mean, certainly there are people who I would try extra hard to impress, probably. But you know, I mean, if especially if I'm the producer, you know, they're paying me to be there and to tell them, to give them my honest opinion. And it's better they find it out from me in the studio than you know hear about it in a review or something months later. You know, if this this song, this you know, note was out of tune or whatever, it's best to catch that now. So, and can you talk about just briefly the worst session you can remember? Probably the worst session I can remember. At least it's the first one that springs to mind. Um, there was a particular singer that I was working with who I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying to decide. Actually, there are two of them. I'm trying to decide which one to tell you. <laughs> I'd say the, the more interesting story was there was a singer I was working with who was sort of doing the, you know, late 80s poison-esque kind of stuff, despite the fact that it was like the year 2002. Um, and he just could not sing. 
and he was he was basically doing this as a solo project. So he was playing all the instruments. I think we had might have hired hired a drum or something, but could not sing. And when he tried, it was like nails on a chalkboard. Um, you know, he sort of had a, a very pleasant air raid siren quality to his voice. And we literally tried one day for like three solid hours to get a song, to get the vocal to a song recorded. And we maybe walked away with two usable lines. And that was probably one of the hardest days I've ever had in the studio. And just to, and, and he knew he wasn't getting it. You know, I definitely knew he wasn't getting it, but he didn't have the time or whatever to come back and try again. So we just hammered and hammered and hammered. You'd take a little break, come back, take a little break, come back. And it just just never did happen. I don't think we ended up completing the project because he got got depressed about it. Oh, so did you guys talked about was he good at playing the instruments, but it just his voice wasn't up there? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, there, there was nothing really special about the music. I, you know, it didn't. It was you know three chord rock and roll type stuff for the most part. Yeah. But it held together okay. But he was also trying to use this to like get a get get a girlfriend back or something like that. <laughs> but you know, he'd written these like heart wrenching songs for this girl he's trying to win back who had moved to Florida or something, and it was just like it was painful. It was painful on a lot of levels. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Oh, the poor guy. Have you? How long ago was that? Like, have you heard from him since? You don't know what he's I, up to these days. I have no idea. The last time I saw him, he was here. It was probably two thousand three, two thousand four, something like that, maybe. Oh, so hopefully he's gotten over that girl by now. <laughs> I hope so. I hope, or maybe they're happily married. Who knows? But, <laughs> That's uh... a good point. <laughs> You need to find that out. Let me know personally, just sort of follow up. Like, All right. okay, I, I checked it out. He died. <laughs> Everything's fine. Right. He died. Oh, nice. <laughs> He's dead. He's out of his misery. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, cool. Uh, any other, any other, and you did, you do, uh, have you ever done an audio book? Did you do cartoons? I remember you saying. No. We've done yeah, we've done voices for cartoons and for like museum exhibits. Uh, we just did a the first audio book we'd ever done, um, Sarah Layden's novel uh, "Trip Through Your Wires," which is named after a really cool U two song. Um, we did her audio book and released it this last fall. I want to say yeah, I think it came out in September. Um, and that was fun. That was a really cool experience. Um, definitely tricky to record because with you, when you've just got a, a speaker in a vocal booth, there's nowhere to hide. You know, there's uh, no music covering anything up. So you have to watch out for all the little stuff from, you know, mispronunciations to stray mouth noises to, uh, you know, somebody accidentally tapping a microphone stand when they're, you know, standing next to it. So that was kind of a challenge, but it was, it turned out really well, I think. How long did that take to record? Oh, it took weeks. Um, you know, it was about, I, I want to say it's about, oh, it's sitting behind me on the shelf, but somewhere in the neighborhood of like 120, 150 pages, something like that. And I would guess it took us, we didn't obviously do it every day, but it took us a good three months, I guess. I'm thinking <gasps> something like that to finally get it all done. Whoa. And then you have to listen back to it all and do all the edits and things like that as well. So. Oh, my gosh. And did you do all that yourself? Did you give that to your interns? Nope. We did it. <laughs> I did it all myself, actually. So, and Sarah was great. She was the author and, and the reader. And uh, she sat by my side for the vast majority of it and helped me, you know, critique things. I, you know, I would have to ask a lot of it, too. The part of the novel takes place in Mexico, so they're... You know, I, I know some Spanish, you know, sort of grade school level Spanish, but there are some some difficult pronunciations and, and things like that that I would have to double check with her on. And so did you mean to say it this way or is it really that way? And yeah, a lot of lot of lot of detail work. Wow. Do you think the typical audiobook takes uh, takes probably that long just because of the length of the content? Probably does, I would guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, just imagine reading, you know, any few hundred pages in uh in real time <laughs> yeah. and having to do a few things twice or three times you know um yeah it's uh it's a process that's crazy all right well um 
we've been talking for about 50 minutes, so we probably, we could probably wrap it up unless there's anything else. You should definitely promote your studio. What's your, does your studio have a name if somebody wanted to find it? It does. It's Perfect Mix Studio. And the website is perfectmixstudios.com. And how far is uh, it? We're also on Facebook. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Oh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that. So if you search just for Perfect Mix, you'll find us somehow. Cool. And you'll record, if the price is right, you'll record anything. Is that your your slogan? (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. I am am a whore for the almighty. No, I'm... uh, (laughs) I haven't I haven't turned down any any lucrative project um, for you know moral reasons or anything like that. So oh, that's <laughs> then again, I haven't, been, I haven't been approached to all. Although I have done some I have done some uh, gangster rap, which is you know definitely not not in line with my personal values. But you know it's a form of expression to the guys who are doing it, and it's their thing. So I you know I'll I'll help if I can. So. Yeah. Okay, and just real where you said it's located in sort of rural Indiana? We are in the middle of the country, east of Indianapolis, yeah. Uh, the nearest town is the town of Greenfield, which is a population of, I think, of about 3,000 people. Um, and uh, we're out uh, sort of in the cornfields uh, beyond that. So it's about about a half hour from, from Indianapolis downtown. Oh, that's not that's not too far. Okay. It's nice that we like that about it. That, that it's um, it cut out. Oh, what'd you oh, say? Oh, sorry. It's it's nice and quiet, which we really like about it. It makes it easy to record things, and when you're done recording, you can step out and look up and see a sky full of stars, or you know, listen to the the, the chickens across the road or whatever. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just picturing the chickens crossing the road. Oh yeah yeah. I can't even believe I made that joke. Okay. <laughs> Well, I love talking to you. I love this interview. I love that you do this. I love that you know what the hell you're doing. It's I have <laughs> great respect, and uh, I'm seriously impressed by it. So thanks for chatting. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been well, fun to catch up. Yes. I'm glad we finally got to talk. I told my daughter, I was like, we canceled this about 10 times. She's like, it couldn't have been 10 times. I'm like, I don't know. We've both been totally <laughs> sick, and we just, anyway, but we made it work. So and I haven't you. even made any loud snorting or coughing noises this whole time. So. Oh, my God. If you I, did, I, I couldn't tell because stupid Skype is a piece of garbage. Uh, <laughs> anyway. If it's unusable, let me know, and we will, uh, you know, I'll run a recording here, and we'll just do it again sometime. Uh, well, I think hopefully afterwards I can run it through some stuff and get it fixed-ish, and I'll listen back to it and see how it is. And I'll send it to you, too, obviously. I don't want you to. Yeah hate it worst case i send you the raw files and you can play with them or something but sure yeah you can do that okay god you sound like weird al i swear anyway okay <laughs> a good friend of mine um is a is a writer he does uh, he has a movie review site and he writes movie reviews for various newspapers and things and he's also a huge weird al fan and has been on cloud nine several times now because he's he's gotten to interview weird al enough times that they recognize each other when they see Aww. each other's and Al apparently is a, is a great guy by all accounts. So. Well, and I think his wife's name is Suzanne, so I like that too. Oh, there you go. There yeah. you go. Well, maybe if I ever uh, get a chance to record him, I'll I'll call you and you can uh, swing by. <laughs> <gasps> don't say that if you don't mean it. <laughs> but the chances of being able to record Weird Al are probably pretty slim. Damn. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again. I'm going to hang up. All right. Take care, and we'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. <laughs>